Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. Well, I'm going to introduce my, my dad to you. Um, this is my Father's Day present. You can see I, I picked the bag out. I couldn't just hand it to him. Come on, y'all. I couldn't just hand him stuff. Um, thanks, Pastor Aaron, for the bag this morning. Um, Dad, this is from, uh, from Ryan and I. Thank you. Um, this actually is, is now from Ryan because he got a little stuck this week, and so I'm, I'm helping my brother because I love okay. my brother. Yeah. I don't know what you've heard. Yeah. I love my brother. Yeah, that's just good training. Yeah. <laughs> and so anyways, that's from Ryan and I. Thank you. Uh, we love you. I'm going to take you out for dinner because this is now from Ryan. Because I right. love my brother. All right. And uh, I, I want you to, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to something after. I'll, t- I'll okay. take this off here. Just don't forget it. Here. <laughs> um, Father's Day lands on everybody in a different place. So not a lot of us had good dads. I had a great dad. And so have a great dad. Dad is still with us. Thank you. Um, I'm still here. I had a great dad. When I think back of when, you know. Um, I think the greatest gift that my dad gave me, just in being a good dad and loving Jesus, and the, the greatest thing that he gave to me was a transference of how to think of God. And you think yeah. about that, I had no problem in seeing God as my heavenly father, not as a taker, never as a taker, but as a giver. All the things that he's asked me to do, my heavenly father, that were hard, just transferred from what he asked me to do that was hard, but it was always uh, for my benefit and not to take something away from me. Mm. We're going to give you an opportunity at the end of this to get a father's impartation today if you've never had that or if you just want something extra. And my, my, my father prays for my children too because I want them to have not just what's on me in the Holy Spirit, but what's on him in the Holy Spirit. And there's this place that you can't worship God wholeheartedly if there's a father kind of thing going on there with you. And so what I want you to do is just keep in the back of your mind, like, I'm going to get a chance to get prayed for afterwards by Pastor Richard, by one of the dads in our, in our community here, and, uh, and we'll tell you what's going on after church. But I want to give the stage to Dad. Would you honor him as I honor him today? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Corey. It's a, really a great privilege for me to be on the stage here. Last time he let me up here, I had to talk about some movie. <laughs> that I didn't know too much about. But thank you, Pastor Corey, for giving me stage today uh, to share some of my father's story. You know, I can't, I can only share about my father uh, what he transferred to me while he was here. When my father was my age, the age I am now, he was already in heaven three years. So it seemed like it was sort of short, but he gave me what he had and it was enough so that God could take that what he gave me and multiply it and then let me pass that on to my sons so that they could pass it on to the next generation. See, we're here for the next generation. We're not here just for us because we'll soon be gone. I want to read a couple of things that I got on my phone this week. Here's one that says, I'm thankful for, thankful for my dad who loved me and got to, I got to lead him to accept Jesus a few months before he died. So I know I will see him again. I still remember his kind of awkward dad hugs. That's from Pastor Beth. Here's another one. I'm grateful for my dad-in-law. I wonder who wrote this. 
I'm grateful for my dad-in-law who fills me with affirmation and anointing. We know who that's from, Pastor Aaron. Another one, I'm grateful that transferring from my dad to God was so seamless. On the, oh, the struggle for the ones with poor fathers. You don't need to remain there. Oh, the struggle for the ones with poor fathers. They must constantly have to say the opposite of him, that they, what they naturally feel. Okay, that's very powerful to me. I am grateful for my dad. My story is about a little of what my dad passed on to me and a bit of what I tried to pass on to my sons. I have this son, a younger son. His name is Ryan. We passed on everything we could to our younger son, Ryan. So we ship him off to, to school in Manitoba. First to Saskatchewan, but that wasn't very sustaining, so we sent him farther to Manitoba. And there he gets captured by this woman. Girl turned woman now. And she trapped him in Winnipeg, and they've been there for a number of years now. And he got involved in, because of his training, because of his discipline and many, many good things, he got involved in a school where he's the athletic director. And he's, he coaches a lot of ba uh, basketball. He coaches his boys. He coaches teams all over the city. And this is the reputation he has. People drive across Winnipeg from many different directions so that my son, Ryan, can coach them in basketball. That's how we want to draw people, fathers. We want to have a reputation that draws people to us. We want to be a, a daddy magnet to draw people. So we're very proud of our son, Ryan, our younger son. <laughs> but then we have an older son, too. Another son, my firstborn. And when my firstborn arrived on, on, our, on our land, he shook everything up. And it's, I noticed over these last four decades or more, he keeps shaking things up. He's always shaking things up. There's a dynamic that has been planted in my fathers from many centuries back. It's called a pioneering spirit. And a pioneering spirit shakes, shakes things up. So why would we be surprised that our elder son, Pastor Corey, keeps shaking things up? I mean, I built a church in our former town, built a church, spent 19 years there, gave my life to the church, and he comes along and he says, we're going to shake things up. <laughs> you see, the Lord gave my younger son Winnipeg, but the Lord gave my elder son Erie. And he's shaking things up here. And he wants to pass down some of the things that we got from my forefathers and by the way, you've become part of our story today because you're here receiving what has come down from generations back from the 1500s. And anything that has come down through those lines can be yours today because that's the way God works. He takes what we have, we give it to somebody else, and he multiplies it in them. And so today what we're talking about is passing the baton. I want to read just a couple of passages out of 
a couple of verses out of Joshua chapter 1. And I did bring a magazine here just in case I fall asleep during my message. Um, so just so you know why the magazine's here. Uh, I won't preach out of that because it has something to do with fashion. Best dressed, I know. I can't make it because I don't have any holes in my <laughs> jeans. So, <laughs> I'm going to talk about passing the baton. Joshua chapter 1. You know, Joshua was one of the greatest, most powerful figures that ever lived. He took over from a man called Moses who was really a type of Christ. He delivered his people from their slavery. So let me read from verse 1. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Wow, what a shocker to Joshua. Moses is dead. Actually, he'd been buried for already 30 days or more. And God still comes to him and says, Moses is dead. What was God really telling Joshua? He's saying, the father that I gave to train you, to impart life to you, that father is no longer here. That time is over. Fathers, your time is going to come to an end. So before that time comes, do what God wants you to do in the lives of people. Give them all you've got. And if you, if you ain't got something, you better get something. Because we've got to give something to the next generation. If we want to change this city for God, we have to give something to the next generation. They're a wandering, broken generation. So who's going to do something about it? Moses, my servant, is dead. The past is gone. My father can't give me anything more than he gave me. Today is a good day to receive from a father who can give you something. And to be a father, how many of you are fathers? I can't see you, but we have a lot of fathers. Wave your hand to me. Let somebody beside you know. Okay, poke somebody who's beside you who's a father. Say, be a father. Give something. Get something and give something. So God gave me an elder son who took the pioneering spirit and he took all of the spiritual impartation that came down through the family line came through my grandfather, my father, well, way beyond my, before my grandfather, but it came through my grandfather, that's the one I, I, I was told about, and my father, the one I knew, and it's come through me, and as God gave me Beth as a partner, we joined together and we transmitted something into my elder son. It's a love for Jesus, and it's a love for the souls that he's going to win, the souls he's going to save. It's a passion. For the souls that are here that are hurting, that are lost. So I gave what I had to my son. And this is the nature of God. I thought, this came to me this week. It's the nature of God. He never just adds something. When you give a seed to God, he multiplies. That's the word of God. That's his principle. When you give even a sm small something, God can multiply it. And then if we take that, what he multiplies, and seed it again, he multiplies that. What a great privilege. What faith he must have in us. But it's the same faith that we use to pass on to the next generation. Never withhold from the next generation that which you can give today. 
Don't withhold. There's going to be a day when you'll be like my father in heaven. Then you can't pass on anymore except through the memories. I'm running a race that's prescribed by a mighty God. Most mighty. He created the world in just six days. And he is so mighty. He's, he's ingenious. He is very crafty. He's very deliberate. He's very careful about how he creates. He created the world in six days. And then he created a son in nine months. Just think how much more work it took to create my son, your pastor, than it took to create the world if it took God nine months. I tell you, we are intricate. We're special. Created and crafted by God. Never think less of yourself than God does. Because if you do, you won't pass on that which you've got. And God wants you to pass it on. So I'm running a race that's prescribed by a mighty God. But my, my race is not just about me. My race is run so that when I've done my lap, the baton has already been passed on to the next generation. This is how it works. First, it's me with what I have received. Then it is us with what I have chosen to pass on. And I hope my, choo my choosing is directed by God so I can pass on the right things and not the wrong things. Because you can pass on the wrong things and it will just multiply into more wrong things. Look what happened in the Garden of Eden. The first people created people on this earth lived 900 years. And because they passed on the wrong thing because of their rebellion against the authority of God, then the, the lifespan shortened from like 900 and some years to 120 years when you pass on the wrong thing. But thank God for Jesus who came and reestablished passing on the right thing. And when I, when I think of eternity, it's going, we're, going to be, we're going to be celebrating this passing on for all of eternity, what Jesus gave us. And I'm so proud that my elder son is passing on the right thing. Okay. I will not allow him to pass on the wrong thing. I'll be on his case. First it was me with what I received. Then it's us with what I have chosen to pass on. It's still us. And I'm enjoying us. At first it was difficult that I, I passed the baton. And I know he's got to run the next lap. But I can be there cheering him on. What an encouragement. Then it's them with what I have imparted and God has multiplied. First it's me, then it's us, then it's going to be them. The day is coming when God is going to say to somebody too, Richard, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, and you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread when I, uh, upon, I have given you, as, as I, I told you, I'll send, I'll, I'll, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. You got that right? As I said to Moses. Okay, as the Lord has said to my fathers, he's going to give to me. Every place, but I have to walk in it. You know, we can't sit back. Having God given us, if God has given us something, we can't sit back and expect something to happen if we don't walk in it. We have to walk in it. All the spiritual principles that we glean from the word, the promises of God, 
the power of God to make those promises happen. All of that, we have to walk in it. If we don't walk in it, we can't have it. And if we can't have it, we can't pass it on. So fathers, we have a great responsibility to learn what God wants us to walk in. Okay, and it's all, it's all captured in this mighty book. Okay, where are the men with big hearts? Where are the men's, men that will worship a mighty God? Where are the men will, that will take this instruction and make it a part of their lives and then pass it on to the next generation? It's a day to pass the baton to the next generation. You know, we just came through celebrating last week or the week before, maybe the 6th of June, we celebrated D-Day. And today I want to talk a little bit about D-Day, what it took for D-Day to actually be successful. And those same principles that it took to accomplish what was necessary in D-Day for the freedom of the people of this world, those same four Ds I'm going to share with you today. So that we can, impart, we, can, we can grasp these concepts in our heart and see that the war is won by making some, you know, choices. The D's of D-Day. The four major factors that influence the outcome of the war. Number one, a decision. We had to make a decision. They had to make a decision. It's not good enough to care to have a goal, to, to, to care about a goal. We have to... We have to uh, take that care and make something happen with it. And we have to care enough to have a goal. Okay. Good, good intentions are not good decisions. Okay. Hear it? Good intention. Many fathers have said, well, I, you know, I was going to do this and I was going to do that. For us, it's, a, it's more of a responsibility to pass on something dynamic in our spiritual life than to pass on toys. And too many fathers, they're used to toys when they're small. Then they get bigger toys when they get big. And they think those big toys are impressing their, their, their next generation, but they aren't. They're just going to rust. I decided when I was a kid, I was going to play baseball. That's why I brought my magazine here. When I was a kid, when I first got exposed to what baseball was, it was maybe grade three or grade four, you know, the, they didn't play with baseball gloves. Did you know that? They played barehanded. And the first gloves I ever saw were worn by the catcher and then the pitcher because they handled the ball a lot. But there were no baseball gloves, so it was barehanded. And when I saw that guys were... And then in the next few years, the, the, all the rest of the players started to have gloves. And when I saw that, I thought, um, I am going to play baseball. But I didn't have a glove... I don't know if my dad knew what a baseball glove was because they, they just weren't around. And so this is how I decided I was going to play baseball. I was going to learn to catch. And so I took my mom's Sears sales catalog and I, ra I, wore, I, I curled it up like this. And that's what I used for a baseball glove. And he, I had a sponge ball about the size of a baseball. And I'd go to the end of our house where the bedroom was. And I'd throw that ball against the house, and I'd catch it with the, this. And my mom was a little frustrated because I start, uh, all her Sears catalogs start disappearing. And, uh, but they were well used. And I would throw that ball against that house, and, uh, and uh, that, the siding on the house was made out of, 
um, what we call shiplap at that time. It was sort of a staggered siding. So there were grooves in it. So when the ball, you never know where the ball went. When it hit one of those grooves, it will go up sideways down. But I learned to have quick hands and a sharp eye. And I learned to catch with a, a Sears catalog. Okay, I became pretty adept. And then when, when um, I had somebody to play with me, we used to play um, anti-eye over over the house with the ball. You ever do that? You have a team on one side, team on the other side. You throw the ball over. If they catch it before it hits the ground, you grab the ball and you run around the house and you throw it against, you throw it and hit. If you hit somebody, they have to change sides. They come on your team. So when my siblings weren't around, I had plenty of them, eight. <laughs> but I was the oldest, fastest, um, more, most spirited, I think, when it came to playing baseball. And so when there was nobody around, I would play this by myself. <laughs> it's not that hard. That's a, you throw the ball over the house, and before the ball comes off the roof of the house on the other side, you get over there and catch it. <laughs> if you've got the tools. Okay, so, and in racing around the house, I got to be pretty good with my feet, because you come around the corner of the house, and you know there's a sandbox you got to na navigate, and then there's a, uh, a wagon there, and a tricycle, and a sleeping dog, or maybe a walking dog, and you had to <laughs> navigate this course and get to the other side, catch the ball. See, I decided I was going to play baseball. My intentions never got me there, but my decision to play baseball got me there. So then, when I, I had to make a decision. So then when I got to, to uh, grade four in school, um, my dad started looking at baseball gloves, and finally I persuaded him to buy me a baseball ball glove. I think I was in grade five, and I decided that day, here's my second, my second uh, D of D-Day, determination. I decided that day, I was so determined I was going to play ball that, that um, I practiced with that glove against the house and over the house until I got pretty adept with it in, you know, just a few months. And in our school, you, could, you wouldn't play interactive ball against other towns in our county until you were in grade six. So I said when I was in grade five, I'm going to be on that team this year that grade six team. And I practiced, and I was determined, and I went out for the, uh, they let me come and practice with them, and I went out, and they gave me the position that takes one of the best arms, third base, because I was determined, and because I had made a decision before that, and, and I had, you know, developed myself. So that was my goal. I invested everything I had in my goal. Fathers, do you have a goal? Have you made any decisions that move you towards that goal of investing your life or what God will give you in this, on this earth in the next generation? If you invest nothing, just guess what your harvest will be. See, we, that's why we have, wandering, we have wandering sheep. We have wandering people in our communities today because they, fathers have not invested what needed to be invested in children. And I'm not saying everything, you know, that we've invested, I'm not saying it's all bad. But there is one thing that God is looking for today in us, in the church, is to invest in us something spiritual that comes from him and then giving it to the next person, our sons and daughters and our grandchildren.
So I was so determined. I made that team that year. And, and from then on, it was, you know, when we picked teams in school, it was always, uh, you know, you, you get two captains and then you, then you choose teams. I, I can't remember a time when I was not chosen first. But it came because of my determination and, uh, that was based on a decision, a goal. See, this is how D-Day was won. Somebody in authority made a decision. Then they gathered people who had the determination and would work with authorities. And that made the difference. Many people were lost to, to accomplish the goal. In my family, many lives were lost to bring us where we are today. I'll tell you some of my story a little later. The third D is discipline, systematic training and working with authorities and guidelines. We must learn to obey. D-Day could not have happened and, and, and they couldn't have stormed the beaches of Europe if there hadn't been some discipline and guidelines and people with determination based on the decision that somebody had made. Or orderly and moral activity that moves us toward our objective. They all move toward one goal. And they took the beachhead. I'm glad I'm not a German speaker today. I have a freedom to speak any language I want. Although German was my first language. But God gave a, a disciplined plan to free the world in that day. You know, when, after I got a little older in playing baseball, I'm going to keep telling you my baseball stories. It was an important part of my life. I submitted myself to a, a great dynamic coach. In fact, it was the guy who sold my dad my baseball glove. He became my coach. And I listened to everything. Everything he said was like the word of the Lord to me. If he said slide, I slid. And if, 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 if uh, I skinned my legs, that was okay because I obeyed him. And if he said bunt, I bunted. Pastor Corey told a story here a few weeks ago of uh, me playing baseball and a friend of mine was called to bunt and he had a triple. Coach walked, he, the coach walked right out to third base. And he said, if you ever do that again, you will not play for me again. You will not accept a triple when he's called you to bunt. And I learned to obey Authorities. Through discipline, we start to embrace what somebody who has more knowledge than us or a greater impartation from us, we start to embrace that thing that they have and it becomes ours. We have to reach our goal. So I became a base runner in those days. And uh, most of our opposition teams didn't like it much when I came to bat because I was a pretty good hitter. I think the first time I struck out, I was in grade 12 in school because <laughs> I had a good eye. And, um, and I became a pretty uh, good base runner because I was so determined. See, first base was never my goal. I never saw somebody get to first base and get a score, uh, score on the scorecard. So the only thing that mattered to me is get the score on the scorecard. So everything in between was what I determined to do. And by discipline and training that I got from my coaches, I learned how to steal bases. Um, when I was on base, it made 
our opposition team very nervous. Very nervous. Let me ask you a question. When, as you're playing the game, the game of life, serving God, do you make the devil nervous at all? Or does he just sleep? Or has God put something in you, some dynamic in you, that when you wake up in the morning and the devil might see you, he's thinking, ooh, better be careful today. Or does he just continue doing what he's doing? I made, I made the, the, the opposite team very nervous when I was on base. I think I had one year... We played in a six-team league. I think I had one year I stole more bases than anybody else, than all of the other uh, players together on all the teams. I stole more bases myself. So, you know, it just creates a nervousness. I want the devil to be nervous around me. Right. Yeah. When you wake up in the morning, once you say, praise God, here I am, I'm ready for the battle, that's, that makes the devil nervous. So discipline yourself to make him nervous. Then the fourth D is diligence. Boy, I'll tell you, those people on D-Day, they made a decision. They were determined. They all got together. They had discipline under, under the leadership. And then they, they had a diligence. Some of them, they saw their buddies drowning in the sea as they were going to the, you know, as, as they were heading for the shore. And they saw their, their guys get shot down. Uh, by gunfire, but there was such a discipline, such a diligence that they kept on going. They said, there's a purpose in what we're doing. This is how we need to live for God. What is your purpose? Can you write down today, this is my purpose to be here? We need to have a purpose. And then develop the diligence, committed to the long haul, keeping on, keeping on. Persistent application to both word and duty, not just word, not just hope, but duty, action, perseverance with painstaking care to the very end. Pastor Beth and I were in Africa a number of years ago. We had, we had given our lives there. We had, we had influenced many people, taught thousands of people, had many conferences there, and fathered many pastors and leaders and they became sort of jealous of us, some of the people we were working with. And, and they determined, they were, they were afraid that we were going to take over their church or something. Not that I ever wanted that. But they were afraid. So they began to raise up an army against us. And they tried to do it within the church and church leaders. Setting themselves against us and making trouble for us. And you know what? Um, in, in the country we were in, they're, they're quite vo um, volatile and violent. And so um, we, we, uh, I had to go to some of these meetings. I didn't have to, but I did because otherwise they'd come and drag you out. And so I went to some of these meetings and they, they told lies about us. And they, they uh, tried to minimize the effect we were having on the people because they were afraid of what we were, gonna, we were going to have more influence than some of these other leaders. And they, it became quite hostile and quite dangerous for us. In fact, the place we were staying, we said, could we get some police protection? And they said, well, we can give you police protection, but what can a police do against a mob of people wielding machetes? Nothing. 
And so we had to make a choice. Talked to Pastor Corey, and uh, he said to me, he was my pastor at that time, he said to me, uh, Dad, I want you to come home. I can't tell you as a dad to, to, I can't tell you to come home. But I'm asking you as a pastor to come home. And I said to fulfill, to be, to be diligent and fulfill what God wants me to do for the rest of my life. I'm going to obey my pastor because I know that safety lies in obedience. And my diligence, I was ready to, to, to dig my heels in. And, and, but I had Pastor Beth with me. Didn't want to make a big stink. And I was ready to go toe-to-toe with these guys. But because my pastor said, I want you to come home, I said, I've got to obey my pastor, even though he's my son and, you know, he's quite a bit my junior. The important thing is what is going to happen in the future. For me to go on, keeping on, going on, for the next generation and for the people that God has called to us, I've got to obey my pastor because in that lies my safety and my longevity. So I disciplined myself and I took his advice and we did come home. Been, been back there a number of times since. But we, we fathers need to, need to know how to uh, function with these four D's of D-Day. Okay, first we make a decision. I'm going to follow God and I'm going to ask him for a, for a vision. Determination. Hang on. When the going gets tough, when nobody wants to agree with you, hang on. Discipline yourself. And then, hang, and then, then apply the diligence so that you can go on. So that you can keep on giving to the next generation. I want to tell you our family history. Very short. In the 1500s, you become part of this history. You know, In the 1500s, there was a man who broke away from the Roman church because he began to read the Bible. He was a theologian. He began to read the Bible. And he began to see in there that salvation is by faith. And serving God is by faith in God and in the Word of God. Martin Luther. And he started an uprising. People hated him. They pursued him. They persecuted him. And then shortly after, in the early 1500s, shortly after, there was a man uh, in Switzerland by the name of Swingley, who began to, he began to read the Bible. He began to accept this concept of salvation by faith. That's your heritage. He saw in the Bible that we need to be, once we are saved, we made a profession of faith. We need to be baptized as believers, as, as adults, as believers, as mature believers. Although you can be mature at six years old. And so he started another movement. It's called the Anabaptist Movement. Out of that movement in Holland, this is where I, my uh, parents came from. Not my, my, uh, my parents' parents' parents came from in Holland. They picked this up. A, a fellow called Menno Simons picked up this whole salvation by faith, baptized believers, and he started the, the um, Mennonite movement. Menno Simons. They moved from Holland... They moved into parts of Germany, into Switzerland, and they finally ended up in, in Poland, which became Prussia. They got given some land there because the Polish, um, the Polish primary ruler at that time was, was uh, able to give them land um, 
so that they could come and farm and, and uh, drain the swamps and make it very productive land. You know, the, the Dutch are very good at that. Did you know that they, got, they took their land from the sea? In fact, there's no other airport in the world than, um, than uh, Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam that actually lies below sea level. Did you know that? I was flying in a, on a plane one day and watching the altimeter, and uh, suddenly we were below sea level on the, air, on the runway. Okay, that's the ingenuity and the pioneer spirit of those people. So they, they were given land because they, they were actually, many of them were burned at the stake for the, their beliefs in, in, even in Holland and as they passed through into Poland. And then once they got into Poland, established themselves in Poland, Catherine the Great of Russia heard about these farmers in Poland that were draining the swampland. So she actually sent a delegation and invited them to come to Russia. So my parents' parents came to Russia at that time. And they set up colonies based on their, their, their desire to have freedom of speech, economic development, and, and being able to, to um, just obey the Bible together, in community, together. And they set up colonies in Russia. And I was just looking at some of the history this year. And one of the colonies that I believe my father and mother came from... Um, it was so big, I think it contained about 60 or 70 towns and villages in one colony. And these people, these Mennonites, became like a country of their own. They had their own government. They had their own taxation system. They developed an education system. They had hospitals. They set up uh, even factories to, to manufacture farm implements and other things. Um, they were ingenious until... The Russian Revolution broke out. War broke out. And then they became part of the battlefield where the Red Bolshevik Army and the White Tsarist Army, where they were fighting in the area that they had settled. And there were many colonies like this in southern Russia, actually the Ukraine now, just north of the Black Sea, in the, north of the Crimea. They even had their own exports. They, they would take caravans of grain and export it to Odessa. Okay, that's our heritage. And it all began because people took this mighty word and believed a mighty God and did with what God had put in them, that pioneer spirit, they began to move out and change things. And I believe that's our spirit, the spirit of our, of our church, of our family. Because the spirit that came to me from my father, and he got it from his grandfather, that same spirit now goes on into my children and into their children. Courage. It took so much courage. They, the, the Russians began to persecute my, my grandparents and, and the whole colony where they lived. My dad's oldest three brothers were sent. They were conscripted. And they were sent to Siberia to serve the Cossacks. And, and uh, during this time of revolution, it was upheaval every place. The economy was so bad that my, my mother sent my, um, my grandmother sent my father into the village one day as they were fighting with a whole big sack of money. He, she said, he said it was like a million dollars to buy one chicken. That was the economic condition. They went to that from being wealthy, actually had established such a powerful uh, economic group that they became a country within a country. And they were sort of like the, the, um, the star of, of, uh, 
of Eastern Europe at that time, the country within a country, because they dared to move ahead and they dared to follow God. I remember the, my dad telling me stories of his father at the time of the revolution. The Russian soldiers would come to the door and my father had, they probably had bootmakers in their colony and, and he, uh, he had a brand new pair of leather boots on. A Russian soldier came in and uh, meanwhile, uh, my, his, his wife and his daughter were hiding in the woodbox so they wouldn't get abused and raped. So they're hiding in the woodbox. My, my grandfather was sitting in a chair in the, in the living room. Russian soldiers come in and they just, you know, they don't knock. They just walk in. And they saw his boots and they said, take those boots off and give them to me. That day, my grandfather had had enough. He said, if you want the boots, come and take them. That's the kind of fathers we want to be. If you want to take something of mine, come and get it. Because God has given it to me. The principles that I've received from heaven, God has given to them to me. Nobody is going to take them away from me. Those soldiers, the enemy, they turned around and walked out, never came back to his house. See, that's courage. That's diligence. He determined. He had a vision. He said, no more. And that's the spirit that I pray that we're going to be passing on to our family, to our sons, to our fathers that are here. The baton, the baton is going to be passed on. We're running together now. Listen, folks, I'll soon be gone. I'll soon be gone. 20 or 30 years, I hope. But when you think of all of eternity, that's very soon. I'll soon be gone. What will you do with what we've given you today when I'm gone? Will you carry it on and give it to your children and your children's children? Will you dare? Will you be like my grandfather where he said no more? Then he sent my father, who was 17. He was going to be conscripted into the army the next year. They sent him to Canada all by himself. He never knew a word of English. He had nothing. And they sent him to Canada. And, and God preserved him in coming to Canada. Okay? There's no way he was ever going to, in the natural, make it. But he came here. And he became a father to me. And imparted to me these four, these four disciplines that I've talked about today. Those things can become all of our things. Okay. That's what I want to see in my son. When I see it in my son, I am so proud. When I see his children, I am so proud. I, wake, I can't even wake up in the morning and my phone is, I don't dare turn, turn my phone on, turn it on, and it's going bing, 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 music, and all of my grandchildren are sending me all this stuff that I need to know that they're getting because their hearts are changed and they're embracing what God has given them. It's such a blessing. Now, this isn't just for one family. This is for all of us. Take it today. Okay, take it. If you don't have it from your father, come and get it today. From a father. A father. Because God can make it yours. And give it to the next generation. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you today for your goodness. For how you preserved us from all these generations. And you kept us 
faithful to faith. Faithful to a faithful God. You've showed us your way. You've trained us. Lord, through all our failures, you, you never looked at the failures. You looked at the successes and what you would do with us if we would just obey you. And so we thank you for what you're doing today. And for every father here, I pray that you just impart to everyone a spirit, a dynamic spirit of I will move ahead with God. And then I will pass that on to my children. That's my prayer today, Father. Help us to walk in what you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.